Hello everybody and Happy New Year and welcome to Ruth is Stranger Than Fiction. My predictions of 2021 year of fun already have come a cropper, but... Within two days. We will we will prevail. <laughs> we have for you a fun story. Anyway, well, it's fun in a way and in another way quite horrifying, so... <laughs> Let's hope that isn't important. <laughs> yes, the year of fun but also extreme horror. I suspect that might be quite accurate. Happy New Year, everybody. Uh, I hope you all had a lovely Christmas and are having as happy a January as you can under the current circumstances. I'm here, Ruth McPhee. Chris is here. Hello. Hello. And we are recording for you today a mini stranger. Today's subject is Winter, the Wizard of Ipswich, and also particularly a story concerning Winter and um, an unfortunate woman called Grace Pett. So we will hear about them. But first, shall we hear about our drink? Why not? It's some homebrew. Yes, it's January. <laughs> the classic homebrew. Chris, I have decided we're going to call the drink Old Winter. Right, in... Uh... In line with the story. And yeah. because it's quite... We usually make this around winter time, and it's quite a good drink for the cold months. Can you explain the drink? Yeah, sure. It's a double chocolate stout. It's the dregs from the end of our Christmas polypin. Uh, so it looks a bit murky. But, Why um... must you bring dregs into this? <laughs> I just want to be honest. I don't want anyone to be just like, oh, look at look at their beer. I don't think much of their homebrew. It looks like a dirty river. I mean, yes, that's true. I'll put a picture up on Instagram. You can see the drink, but very tasty double chocolate stout. Mm, even the um, dregs. Even the dregs are tasty. And what manner of chocolate goes in? The listeners will be a to learn, I'm sure. Well, I mean, I suppose if you include the chocolate malt, which isn't really chocolate, it's just the name given to a very dark roasted malt. Mm. It's a triple chocolate stout, but the yes. other two kinds of chocolates are actually cocoa, which goes into the boil. Nibs. No. Oh, uh, powder. Powder, cocoa. I cocoa was there. The I don't know why I'm finding all this so surprising. <laughs> <laughs> it just shows how much attention I... I'm yes. usually responsible for weighing things. <laughs> And then quite a lot of stirring. Weighing and stirring. But I don't always pay attention to what it is I'm weighing. No. Cocoa. Anyway, cocoa powder while the beer is boiling. And then chocolate essence. Ooh, delicious. Goes into the fermenter. Yeah. At the point at which you would, when you would be dry hopping a beer, instead of dry hopping it, we're putting chocolate essence in there. Lovely. So the beer we're drinking now, we put in a polypin so we could drink it over Christmas. Mm -hmm. And chocolate essence went into the polypin as the fermentation was completed. Hooray! And thus Old Winter is born. <laughs> yes. For a little bit there, it was like we were a home brewing podcast. Oh, maybe we should branch out. Yeah, I think you'd have to take the lead on that one. I think there's probably enough home brewing podcasts. As I say, I mainly measure and stir, measure and stir. Okay, so we're going to drink Old Winter and we're going to hear about Old Winter. Now, Old Winter, he's quite new to me. Now, as you may know, I have quite a big list of possible future subjects that I kind of work my way through for the podcast and I'm like oh one time we'll do this you know some of them require a lot of research big topics some of them a little 
just small throwaway things almost. Some of them require other people to be allowed into the house. Exactly, which we'll have to uh, be on pause (laughs) for now. I only found out about Old Winter just these last few hours of the day. And I found out about him. I found a digitised archive of of a magazine called Lantern, which ran from 1971 and 1982, I think. And which covers lots of different stories uh, from the East Anglian region. Quite a lot of UFO sighting (laughs) stuff, folklore, hauntings, all quite, you know, briefly Mm. written up. But it's all digitised online and it's all available via the Hidden East Anglia website. So do have a look. Like a kind of regional 40 in times. Yeah, I'd say less less well-researched, shorter articles, but absolutely, yeah. So I think that we'll probably be hearing more from The Lantern in future (laughs) weeks now that I know it exists. So anyway, I came across a very brief story on there about this character, Old Winter, the Wizard of Ipswich, and I thought, come on, we need to know more about this fellow. And thus, more was discovered, (laughs) mainly from local history books, quite similar to the Enid Porter style of, of kind of oral histories that various people, quite often reverends and clergymen of parishes have have like asked everyone around where they live for all the old stories and then they've compiled those into books. Mm -hmm. That's where quite a lot of the information has come from. Here are some stories about Old Winter, culminating in the horrifying story of Grace Pet. So you can look forward to that (laughs) bit at the end. So Old Winter or Winter, or Mr. Winter. <laughs> to you. To you. Even Dr. Winter I read in one place. I don't think he was a, a fully qualified doctor, but <laughs> as a, a, a sign of the respect people accorded him, I suppose. So Old Winter was the name of a fellow who lived in Ipswich in the second half of the 18th century. He was known to possess powers of witchcraft. Mm. He was known as a wizard, a wise man, a cunning man. And as R.A. Haxel puts it in The Lantern, he was known that although he had these powers of witchcraft, he turned his law to the service of justice. So he used his powers for good. Boring. (laughs) You want evil powers. (laughs) Yeah, so instead of, you know, cursing people's livestock and Mm. all the toad man shit, he was... Making them itchy. Making them itchy? Yeah, wasn't that a thing? The people or the livestock? No, the people. Mm. Making making your enemies itchy. Oh, that would be awful. I hate to be itchy. In go. some ways, I'd rather have a, a painful wound right. than an itch. The end would be in sight on a painful wound. Yeah, an itch is abominable. Oh, no. Well, Mr. Winter wasn't doing any of that kind of thing. Oh, I had a PE teacher called Mr. Winter. That's made me just think of him. <laughs> I'm going to call him Old Winter <laughs> instead of Mr. Winter. He was the one who tried to make me join the girls' football team. Because he once scored a goal. Because once by accident I scored a goal in a football lesson in PE. Seems it was unlikely. It was pure fluke. I was just like bumbling about the area and the, the ball ricocheted off my foot and went in. Well, Gary Lineker made a career of it. <laughs> bumbling about in the area. I'm pretty sure that defines his, uh, oh, his game. Oh, God. Anyway, I didn't join the football team, obviously. It would have been ludicrous. I'm sorry, Mr. Winter. I let you down. So... Yeah, he was known to help out those who had been done wrong by ne'er-do-wells. So people would come to him for advice. He's a vigilante wizard. (laughs) I guess so. Yeah, and actually, the beginning, the first story you'll hear, quite benign, but by the end, it is a bit more vigilante-ish. So yeah, that's not a bad description. And it sounds as though he was known throughout the region and he pops up in quite a few different local history books looking at Ipswich, Stowmarket, Suffolk generally. His name appears quite a few times. Does he have a first name? I've never heard of such a thing for for winter. 
old Mr. Doctor or Joss Winter. Like uh, Lady Gaga. <laughs> Either yeah. Gaga. Title plus. Or Lady Gaga. <laughs> exactly. Okay, so the first story is recounted by the Reverend Arthur George Harper Hollingsworth in his local history tome, The History of Stowe Market, which was published in 1844. That kind of works out. So if you think Winter is doing his stuff in the late 1700s, mm. by the time we get to. There's still to... people living who can exactly. uh, basically remember having met him or. Exactly. Or heard, you know, heard stories secondhand. So the first tale of Old Winter was told to Hollingsworth by a sexton and the sexton's father had been apprenticed to Old Winter as a boy. Now, I read that and I was like, what, as a wizard apprentice? (laughs) Hang on. There's there's money to be made in this. Well, it just said apprentice to him as a boy, but I, I mean, presumably not as a wizard. Well, presumably, I don't know. Presumably. Well, no, I was just going to say, like, this whole idea of him being a wizard, is it just the same as when, the, you know, the wise old woman of the village yes. was called a witch because she knew how to yes. cure your rash? Yes, it's. but I don't know. I mean, I don't know where the, the sexton's father was apprenticed, like learning how to make potions and charms. Mm. And that kind of thing, or whether winter the wizards had a sidelining carpet. Exactly, and then and then there were other apprenticeships going on. Anyway, it it doesn't matter too much. I just liked the idea of an apprentice wizard. I feel my childhood was lost, not <laughs> being able to be to an be. apprentice wizard. So the sexton's father had told the sexton this story about when he was young. Old Winter was approached one day by a local farmer who had been losing blocks of wood from his wood store in his farm and he was convinced that somebody was coming in at night probably Mm. and stealing blocks of wood not just once but over and over seems logical more and more blocks were disappearing and obviously not a huge crime but it's not great no nobody wants to be having to chop more wood oh and carry it all Mm. around so the farmer came to him and said look i think this is happening i don't know who it is what do you advise wise old winter old winter said we'll spend the night at the farm both of us awake alert a stakeout we'll see what happens and if we should see something going on some thievery then i'll take care of it but he said to the farmer whatever happens you can't speak but hang on the farmer hadn't thought to just spend the night watching his wood previously not that i'm aware of no (laughs) not that the sexton has uh communicated to hollingsworth but he says you can't speak under any circumstances don't speak to anybody that we see don't speak to me just stay quiet and watch very important so the two of them stand vigil at the farm sure enough around the hour of midnight a laborer from a nearby property appears at the edge of the farm he sneaks sneaks to the woodyard and hoiks up a big block of wood onto his shoulders. At this point, he's like, right, I'm going to make off with it. Neither the farmer nor Old Winter have moved, neither have acted, but Old Winter had something up his sleeve. Well, we all know about the wizard's sleeve. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> Sorry. Have you you just been waiting no, for the just, opportunity to bring up the wizard's sleeve? and wizard. Sleeve. I hadn't even thought of it. So the labourer starts to make his way across a meadow which adjoins between his property and the farm where he's stolen the wood. But the farmer notices that as he starts to walk around the meadow, he's looking for something. He's looking for the stile so he can get out of the meadow back mm. over onto his property. But he just, <laughs> he can't see it. He keeps walking. He keeps walking round and round and round the meadow, looking 
increasingly frightened, increasingly exhausted, it's apparent that he can't stop. He can't see the way to escape and he can't stop walking, trudging round and round with this big block of wood on his shoulders that he's stolen. So he just keeps trudging, becoming more and more exhausted until uh, the report says that he looks like he will die from exhaustion. (laughs) At this point, Old Winter takes pity on him and goes up to him, says a few words, we don't know what, and the spell is broken. The farmer labourer drops the wood and falls exhausted to the floor. Needless to say, the farmer's wood was safe from then on. Mm. Word gets around, doesn't it? Yeah. So that's the first story of Old Winter. I like that. So had he, he'd basically just made it seem to the labourer as though the style had disappeared. He hadn't disappeared the style. No, but the the labourer couldn't find his way out of the field. So that's the first story. Now, helpful witches or wizards of this nature were not uncommon at the time. Obviously, that we hear a lot about the people that were accused of witchcraft and consorting with the devil and all that kind of stuff, which I'm prepared to say probably not true, but obviously horrible punishments. And this this is a bit after a lot of that. A little. Yeah. yeah, but of course there were people that were called they're called cunning men, cunning women, wise men, wise women that did have like a modicum of understanding about how you would heal like minor ailments. Mm. So some yeah. knowledge about herbs. They would do things like make love potions. People would come to them and say, "Oh, I've lost this ring or whatever. Can you help me find the ring?" And they would like, who knows what they do, but they'd say, "Oh, it's here. Have you looked in this drawer <laughs> hidden inside a sock?" Have you looked on the back of the sofa? And sometimes they would help find missing people. And as in cases like this, they would kind of help out with minor crimes and misdemeanors that weren't perhaps not enough to go to the police or whatever. Who even knows if there were police in these rural areas? Yeah. So they weren't uncommon, this sort of figure, and they would be consulted on a kind of lots of different little bits and pieces. But including, they were seen to be able to offer counter spells against malevolent witchcraft. <laughs> so if it was thought that something, you know, some bad cursed. witch had been working in the area, people could go to these people like Old Winter to try and get the better of the bad witches. Like the old day equivalent of Judge Judy. <laughs> Uh, I suppose so. You know, you've got a little minor gripe. It's not worth getting the law involved, the proper law, I mean. No, and sometimes the law can't get involved. If it's, you know, fortune telling, if you're like, oh, who will, who will I marry? The law can't tell you that. Yeah, but then actually Judge Judy can't tell you that. Either. No, she can't. Her powers are strictly judicial. <laughs> they do not stray into the realm of love. Ah, oh, good old Judge Judy. I do love her, though. That's just a, a side thing. It just reminded me of the Catatonia song, Mulder and Scully, which on the face of it was about the X-Files, but actually apparently was about the idea that Mulder and Scully would investigate the idea of love. Oh, really? Yeah, I think so. I think I remember... I never the, listened to the words. No, I mean, they're probably terrible. No, I like Catatonia. Mm. Not saying their words were good, though, actually. So, well, maybe so. It was all a metaphor. Yes, I think so. But was it because of the shipping of Mulder and Scully? No, I think it was because it was, you know... Weird. A deep mystery. So Mulder and Scully would investigate. Yeah, exactly. There's another tale that surfaces of an old man named Winter who lived near Oldborough. A different um, Winter? No, so I. it's ah, the same Winter. Okay. It's just in he's this he's not called Old Winter and... It is um, in Auburn, not Ipswich. And this is recounted by Foster Barham Zink. Foster Barham Zink. What a name. What a name for a man. Did he come before the element or after? <laughs> he's Zink with a... Uh, in addition to the normal spelling of Zink, he's got a K and an E. Oh, wow. What a fancy man. Very bold. And he's also a clergyman who records local histories. But I must say... He takes a rather more judgmental tone. Well, as you might expect a clergyman <laughs> I too. I suppose so, yeah. He published a book called Some Materials for the History of Worsted. 
and that was published in 1887. From the name, I think we must assume it's the same winter and mm. from the, the story, because it refers to this winter as being like known as a, a witch or a, a sorcerer, a conjurer. So I think it's, it's the same one. It's the same area, same time, really, mm. that we're looking at. So we can see in this story, it's actually a bit more of the kind of classic tropes that we would associate with witchcraft in some of the stories of darker forces. To help locate the story in history, Zink says that he was told the story over 40 years ago. So mm. that takes us back to like the 1840s. Um, and that the farmer who told him the story was about 65 and the story happened when the farmer was a young man. So- I mean, this has already got the classic trappings of an urban <laughs> myth, hasn't it? Oh, yeah. My mate, whose daughter mm. happened to be going out with this person no. 40 years ago, saw this thing. <laughs> no, because Zink was told by the man in question. It's just that he happened to be old and then Zink was old when he wrote it down. As a young man, the farmer went to the house of the wizard Winter. As he entered the room, he saw on the table what he described as several black imps. (laughs) In form and size, I quote, they were something between rats and bats, the most (laughs) mischievous and the most hideous of English animals. Says Mr. Zink. He's probably got a fair point. <laughs> no, I disagree. I do not find rats or bats to be the most hideous of English animals. Bats are lovely. Mm, rats are quite hideous. But they're clever. Think of a horrible plague-ridden rat. Mischievous, fine about Gone a bit bonky uh, in, the, in the head, dribbling. <laughs> got some bad, gnawing teeth. Perhaps. Anyway, so the, this young man goes into the room and he says he sees on the table about a half dozen of these ratish, battish black imps and he says they're like twittering at old winter and old winter's like leaning in and they're all like talking together in some tongue that he can't understand but as soon as they catch sight of him the devil's tongue yes as soon as they catch sight of him old winter gives the signal and they glide to the floor and disappear through the floorboards Mm. just through as if they were made of nothing not the solid boards but just nothing so he was quite scared as he would be now the same man the farmer, and we can assume this might be why he went to Old Winter, believed that his calves and cows had been bewitched by one of his ploughmen. And apparently he told Zink that he he thought this ploughman was implicated because he'd seen the ploughman following the plough, not walking on his feet, but on his head. What? Walk yes, it, on walking his head. on his head. Well, he doesn't say walking on his head. It's he says following on his head oh rather than his feet, which I find actually really sinister. Yeah, I mean, that's, yeah. Just I don't know. I don't like it. I'm just thinking of a head furrowing well, through the ground. It's just upside down things can be really creepy. <laughs> <laughs> I think they're really uncanny, aren't they? Yeah, they're all they're just the right thing, but all wrong somehow. So I found that quite a sinister idea, but Mr. Zink files this story into a chapter entitled Superstitions and Misbeliefs. <laughs> so I, th- I think we can see what he makes of it. He doesn't believe the head was in he the doesn't, ground. I'll tell you what, he doesn't think the ploughman was upside down. No, he, he doesn't, doesn't think the imps exist. He doesn't think the calves and cows were bewitched. <laughs> but he he recounts the tale nonetheless. Okay, so that's a couple of like little whistle wetters. But hang on, hang on. What action did Winter take? What became of the ploughman, the bewitched cows? Well, not, I, we hear nothing on that oh, front. So may, I so wonder if, did the farmer get too scared when he went in and he saw the imps and he was like, well, oh, don't want to mess Zink around with this. Or Zink just decided it's all nonsense. <laughs> and that's what, what's the point in Zink, even trying to tell you what come Zink to a does. rational conclusion. Where a good writer would try and say, oh, but what happened next? What happened to the ploughman who was upside down? Did old winter suggest a solution? Were your calves fixed? What Mr Zink does is does 
about two pages worth of saying how ignorant and stupid <laughs> the, <laughs> the local folk are. And he's like, well... People wonder why the church has fallen out of fashion. <laughs> he says, to along the lines of, he's like, you can't really blame these people because, you know, they have been brought in this environment of absurd superstition and da-da-da-da-da, but really it's all blah-blah-blah, quite ridiculous. So he doesn't answer the questions that we would want answers to. So the final story of winter... The main event. It's quite unpleasant. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. This is quite a horrifying story. And it concerns, as well as Old Winter, a woman named Grace Pett. And, you'll be surprised to hear, a possible case of spontaneous human combustion. (laughs) You didn't think that was going to happen. No. No one thought it. I was surprised to discover. I mean, things have been getting darker. Yeah. They have with the imps and now the combustion. Um, And this happened in the year 1744, so it's actually a little bit earlier. So if anything, if it's the same winter that we see recurring in these different histories... He lived to an unnaturally old age. Or he was quite young when this initial thing happened, but... This this is the one that made his name. (laughs) I don't know, I guess so. Because he was of quite, you know, known around the land, so maybe it was. Because this was certainly a case that captured the attention of the public, as you will discover. And here I'm referring to the book The History and Description of the Town and Borough of Ipswich by G.R. Clark. Snappy. Mm. Snappy title. Clark recounts that Mr. Winter was held in high repute as a cunning man and conjurer who could, as he says, read the stars and dive into the secrets of futurity. He could see the future. He could tell what was going to happen and perhaps affect the outcome. In the spring of 1744, Winter was approached by a farmer named Dr. Garnham of Purdis Farm near Ipswich. Garnham and his wife had been having some terrible trouble with their sheep. So it begins. It's a similar story though, isn't it? So it begins. Now, the animals had some form of disease and it wasn't just the usual sickening and dying. Much stranger than that. And I'm quoting here from G.R. Clark. They had some form of disease which occasioned them to whirl round and cut sundry strange capers before ultimately dying. Whirling around, cutting capers. Can you imagine it? Only in my most worst dreams. Sheep leaping around, cutting capers. Use your bladder. (laughs) Cut some capers, man. Use your bladder. But this isn't the sort of behaviour you want from sheep. It's quite worrying. No. Uh, And then the sheep did also die after the capers. Too much capering. Maybe. So it's all very puzzling. Um, And Mr Garnham and his wife don't know what to do. And it's actually the wife who says we should go and ask Old Winter. He's sure to know how we should proceed. Rumours are going round, of course, that the sheep are bewitched because of this very peculiar form that the disease has taken. So they think it's not just, you know, we don't just need to get them to a, a vet. We need to... Oh, get someone involved. Yeah. We need to take it somewhere else. Cast out the evil spirits. Exactly. So the wife says, why not go and see Old Winter? He'll know what to do. The main questions are, who's doing this bewitching? Mm. How can it be stopped? Mm. Here it starts to get nasty, and I'm afraid Winter is to blame. <laughs> so far, so benign, but yeah. oh, Winter. Seems like the kind of man who'd help a, help a person out. Oh, Winter's advice was... I think, rather awful. He suggested that the Garnums must take one of the still-living but diseased sheep, one of the afflicted animals, and burn it alive. This sounds awful, but in the process of... I mean, it is awful. I'm not going to mitigate that. In the process of, of reading about this, there were a couple of other cases where it was suggested that, I don't really see the logic, but to uh, sort of overcome a bedevilment or a bewitchment, 
you have to do something equally as awful to the things that have been done to somehow reset a balance or drive it out or something like that. I can see where it's got a a kind of a a logical seed that can easily grow into a... (laughs) Illogical practice. Yeah. So he says, he says, get one of your sheep that's afflicted and yeah, burn it alive. And he says that what this will do, this act will cause the malevolent sorcerer to be summoned and they too will be consumed by fire. Again, though, he says the important thing, no one must speak. As soon as anyone speaks, the spell will be broken. So he says this must all go on in silence. No one can speak, especially if we see anything, if we see a sorcerer, if we see a figure, a creature, anything like that. We can't speak because the, and, and the he's spell will the be burning. broken. No, I don't think he is. Oh, okay. He's just given this advice. Right. He's like, go and fucking burn your sheep alive, but I don't want any part of it. Apparently, Mr. Garnham was a bit sceptical. Not too keen on burning a sheep alive. Quite horrifying. And also, presumably, he's like, well, I've still got some sheep. Well, I don't want to bloody burn one of them. No, but if it's diseased, then he knows what's going to happen anyway, I right? suppose, yeah. He's just maybe hoping it won't. And also, he probably does care a bit about the sheep. He doesn't want to give them such a terrible fate. No. Mrs Garnham, on the other hand, she's all in favour. She's like, this is what Old Winter's told us. I think we should do it. His reputation precedes him. Uh, now, I'm glossing over it a bit because there's quite an, I would say, unnecessarily detailed description of the sheep burning. Of the smell of roast mutton. Well, just the sheep. It sounds like, like the sheep tried to escape and then they had to jab it with a pitchfork and just all this horrible, horrible stuff. So they build a fire in one of the, the outhouses of the farm. Um, they build it strong and hot mm. and they bind up the sheep legs bound up and they thrust it alive and squealing i'm sorry everyone it's horrible they thrust it into the fire the poor sheep it burned almost to ashes the only thing that didn't burn were its feet which were Mm. bound and were like poking out of the fire here's a question gr clark calls them trotters does a sheep have trotters or hooves? Uh, it's funny because when you first said the only thing that doesn't burn, and my mind immediately went, oh, the trotters. But then I'd say a pig has trotters. Yeah, a pig absolutely has trotters. A sheep has, has a cloven hoof, right? Mm. Like the devil or a goat. <laughs> well, we know a goat has a cloven hoof. Yeah. And is a sheep not most like a goat? Yeah, I think so. It's more like a goat than a pig. Mm, so I might get You can anyway. tell we're not from agricultural stock. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're city folk. <laughs> Absolutely city folk. But anyway, so the poor sheep, so it was burned, sizzled up almost to ashes, apart from the rather sad image of these trotters, hooves, whatever it may be, like poking out, and they weren't burned. But no witch appeared. So had the spell failed? Let's find out more. We must now turn to a a seemingly unrelated event, a seemingly unrelated family. I think I know what's going to happen. Do you? Well, maybe, sorry. Let's find out. Oh, you look genuinely excited. Yeah, because I just imagined it. (laughs) Okay. We turn to some events at a house in the St. Clement Parish of Ipswich. So, you know, within the local area, mm. but not immediately. So, I'm um, sorry, farm. Old Winter's back in Ipswich. It's, it's not, the Ipswich it's not area. Yeah. It's the Ipswich area. But remember, Ipswich, as it is, is a city, but it was like a parish okay. area yeah. as well. So it would expand into the rural parts. Now, the date is the 10th of April, 1744. And this part of the story is very well documented. Strange as it may seem. The father, Mr. Pett, was a fisherman away at sea. The mother, Grace, and her daughter were in the house. And they had been making merry because Grace had recently returned, strangely, 
from Gibraltar. Oh. I don't know why she was there. Gone to pick up some duty-free fags. But I read about this in several different places as well, and the, the detail of Gibraltar is, is always Specific. present. So. so they'd been having like a lovely old time. The daughter had, I, th- I get the impression, almost she'd come back to keep the mum company because the Mr Pet had gone off to sea. They drank a lot of gin. Lovely. Had a lovely high old time. The daughter made her way up to bed. And Grace either followed her and later returned downstairs or, or stayed downstairs up a while longer. In the morning, the daughter was somewhat alarmed to find that her mother was not in bed where she should be. And upon going downstairs, she found a horrifying sight in the kitchen. Oh. Her mother's body lying half on, half off the hearth, burned to death, still smouldering. <laughs> However, very strange it was because the fire had not been burning mm, in the grate. No source of ignition. And the candle that her mother had been obviously carrying for light was was in a stick but positioned on a table and the candle had just burned down to the wick. Mm. No sign that it had capsized or toppled. Grace Pet's body was horribly burned. The torso almost reduced to ash. The arms, upper legs and head were all very badly scorched. Everything was burned apart from her ankles and feet, which were untouched by the flames. Very strange. The area around the body also bore no evidence of the fire, so the floor was unmarked. There was a pile of clothes on one side, which was completely fine. There was a paper screen on the other side of the body, which was also all intact, no evidence at all of any heat damage or smouldering or anything. And the daughter had heard nothing in the night to indicate that her mother had been burning alive. <laughs> Which you think there might be you a bit, a bit of commotion. You think there might be some screaming. Yeah. So that's obviously on its own very weird. Yeah. I already said spontaneous human combustion. Yeah. But of course, once the news spread... Yeah, everyone worked out, put two and two together. And what did they say, Chris? Well, the, clearly Grace Pet was the person who had been bewitching the sheep. She had been cast out in a burning fashion. Yes! Uh, even though she wasn't in the same location. Yes. And once the story of, on one hand, the sheep getting killed and the yeah. bewitchment, on the other hand, this very weird burning... Were joined together. People, of course, were like, oh well. And it was a matter of record that it was the same night. Well, I think so. There's Everything specifically says the 10th of April for Grace Pet, mm. and there, I can't find a date for the other one, so maybe it wasn't exactly the same night, but it was in the same region. But once news got around, people started to claim they'd seen Grace Pet riding across the hills towards <laughs> Perdis's farm. And here I quote from J.R. Clarke, "'Wringing her hands in the bitterest of agony and entreating for mercy.'" Even as the sheep burned, people said, poor Grace Pet had burned too. And just as Old Winter had said, that the person who had performed the malevolent witchcraft would also be consumed. And it seems there might have been some rumours about Grace Pet prior Mm. to the burning, but who can really know for sure. And the unburned feet and ankles, of course. A telltale sign. This was used as, you know, if even if you didn't go, oh, they burned on the same night, a bit weird. That was then people were like, oh my God, of course. Yeah, that's categoric. That's, that's the absolute evidence that Grace Pet was a witch and she was punished for uh, her misdeeds against the Garnums. Now, G.R. Clark seems satisfied that there's clear evidence both events took place. And as I said, the Grace Pet 
cases actually quite well documented mm. in various places and it was actually discussed by the Royal Society in London later the same year right. along with another case which also appeared to be spontaneous human combustion and so that case for sure that did happen it seems like at the investigation into the death at the time they genuinely couldn't find out why she'd burned and it seems like that the belief in spontaneous combustion was widely held so you know they were like oh it's really weird but they didn't look beyond that for kind of what could be a scientific explanation and it's this key thing of the the burning seems to come internally like there's no external factor which causes the body to burn having said that it does usually seem to happen near fireplaces (laughs) (laughs) so so that was seen of course as proof of old winter's knowledge and yeah abilities it was the case that made his name maybe and it's yeah so really really interesting but obviously absolutely horrifying <laughs> because a sheep gets burned alive a woman gets burned alive yep. and after her death vilified as a witch <laughs> i do remember watching a program about spontaneous human combustion a documentary was it on cbs reality no it was long before cbs reality existed in this country it must have been when i was about 14 mm. and i remember them trying to like burn a pig <laughs> a body of a pig not alive a dead pig so what they were trying to do was to see... demonstrate how hard it is to burn a body <laughs> yeah pretty much so to you know that this idea and it seems to quite often be the case that the spontaneous human combustion phenomena will happen in overnight or you know not over a long period of time and actually that people have been found absolutely burned to like ash and to get a body to that state you need an incredibly incredibly high temperature yeah, yeah. and it takes hours and hours and hours yeah. So it's it's strange. Again, it's something that I'm kind of aware of from my uh, childhood and teenage years of being interested in like kind of mysteries of the unexplained. Your special uh, tea cards. Yeah, I don't think there is a spontaneous human combustion one on the old uh, tea cards, mysteries of the unexplained. But it's not something you hear about these days, really, is it? Like, I can't remember a widely reported case of spontaneous human no. combustion in my adult life. So I, I wonder if... I suspect it's probably because they can usually explain it now. Yeah. I mean, look, I don't think people spontaneously combust. I think they're, I'm sure there are explanations for it. But it's it's obviously a, it's a very strange phenomenon. And I think, obviously, the story of this is an odd coincidence. And it shows how very quickly pre-existing beliefs can, like, latch onto things. And the narrative oh so conveniently will fall into place yeah the mind is very good about making associations isn't it you say it's very good at it it wants well, to do that, it yes that's what i mean i don't i don't mean it's necessarily going to come to the right conclusion. but i think but... that yes yeah the of course the the mind loves to find patterns and quite often the patterns might be there and it's you know it's great but sometimes the patterns aren't there and the mind is like doing crazy gymnastics to try and fit things into some preconceived idea not to mention any conspiracy theorists that might be <laughs> going around at the moment. But uh, yeah, I think um, the mind wants to make patterns and sometimes that is great and sometimes that can be quite dangerous. Mm, it becomes I an think. overriding obsession. Yeah, absolutely. So there we are. That's the story of Old Winter and Grace Pet. And what became of Old Winter, do we know? I, I just died, I guess. <laughs> it wasn't that magical after all. Don't know. You know, I don't, you know he didn't go up in a ball of flame. He didn't... You haven't looked in the Ipswich phone directory for Winter. <laughs> it's too common a surname. Right. God, what if Mr Winter, my old PE teacher, was a descendant? <laughs> Could be. Could be. I should have joined that football club. <laughs> yeah, that's probably why you're cursed now. Cursed? <laughs> oh, well. Okay, well, thank you for listening. That is, yeah, an interesting little tale of a couple of characters. And I'm sorry about the, the burning alive aspect, but there we are. And we'll have another story for you coming up very soon. Until then, goodbye.